Hey, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I'm Tyler Stellman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Tyler. How's it going? Busy, man. How about you? Busy, busy, busy. That's why we're late yeah. this week. Yeah, it's been that, it's that time of year, right? Is it? Yeah, I think so. This is, I think the, this is, is this always the time of year? I always, I always forget when it is because every time I think I can take a, take a breath, something happens. <laughs> yeah. What's a breath? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> a nap. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that, that is the, uh, that's the thing, right? So I remember going to like ASMP meetings and all these photographers are always saying like, if you're a successful photographer, give up your whole life, you know, like <laughs> you're not going to have any friends or any time for anything. Cause you're going to be writing emails. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not shooting, <laughs> you're writing emails or it, in my case lately, it's been sorting through photos. Uh-huh. Wading through seas of images that are almost all the same, but need to be sifted through, and then also editing video. Select, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was e- editing that video that I was talking about last week. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a lot to go through. But you know what we didn't do before we started? We didn't choose a topic. Usually we come up with something ahead of time, but I just forgot to even bring that up. We are slacking. Sorry, folks. This is the reality of being a working photographer, <laughs> a working podcaster. <laughs> What, what, what kind of stuff have you been working on lately? You were just sending me some new scans from your film camera that you last discussed, the Fuji. Yeah, my newest, my newest acquisition, the uh, Fuji. I don't know how to say it. Is it class? Classe. 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 K l a s a s e. Yeah, this yeah. is the one that um, that Classy. Chris Maston re- recommended. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, you don't know about this camera? It's great." And so, of course, you know, it piqued my curiosity, and the images look so great. I was, I was really impressed with how sharp they were. Yeah, and it's it's really crazy because you know I haven't really applied it to any thought to to using it. It's just, and that I think that's the point of this camera is that it's something that you can just have with you, pretty much any any time. Let's turn today into reviews of our point and shoot film cameras. Heck yeah! So, give me a review, a detailed review. What's the, what's the feature set? What what does this thing do? This thing, what does this thing do? This thing is a uh, compact point and shoot 35 millimeter camera with a 38 millimeter 2.8 lens. Um, it only works in aperture priority, or actually, I lied. It works mainly in aperture priority, but there's also a program mode um, with uh, exposure comp- compensation it being the way that you customize exposure, right? That's, that you can that's like right. go up and down two stops, maybe. Uh, yeah, in either direction. Yep. And um, yeah, it's just, it's exactly what I like to have. I mean, especially from a point and shoot, because the last thing I need to think about in general is shutter speed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's quick, it's easy. I found it to be a pretty common configuration, uh, something similar to this when I was shopping for point and shoots. The idea of like a fixed lens, aperture priority is the is the main way that you use it. Um, it, I mean, this is very similar to the contacts T2 that, that I'll, I'll talk about in a few minutes, which, um, is a 35 instead of a 38, but it's a pretty ideal setup. I, I think the reason that they're all like this is because it works. It works really well. I think just about anybody that takes pictures all the time prefers aperture priority as far as I know. Do you think you'd ever buy a digital that had this same configuration, like this few knobs and it was 35 millimeters and 2.8. Would you accept your Fuji if it was aperture only? Um, 
to be honest with you, I would buy one if it was aperture only. Um, as long as the lens was as good as this lens is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know what I use it for. <laughs> you know? Um yeah, I mean I I personally I just you know, that's that's what I like to shoot on is aperture priority because yeah. that I like to control my depth more than anything else. If I need to to um get a little bit of blur, like I know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and f- frankly yeah. for me, if I need more control, I probably also need a bigger camera. Like I I usually yeah, exactly. I, I know how to manipulate something like this enough to get by for point and shoot type shots. That's right. And so, I mean, yeah. As far as a point and shoot is concerned, like this, this is what I want. I want to, I want to have a point and shoot that has a lens that's good enough to actually have a nice depth of field. Looking at the samples you've sent me, this lens is more than good enough. This lens looks amazing. Honestly, I think it's it's better than a lot of my Nikon lenses that mm-hmm. I would put on my FM3A. Honestly, it's just it's in, it's insane how clear and sharp it is. In the distortion, everything, everything is just, it's just incredible. So what I was curious about is comparing it to the results from my contacts, which, which in theory should be a similar, similar lens. I mean, they're similarly priced cameras with, that are both well-respected. Um, and I found yours to feel a bit sharper. I, I don't know if it's just the aperture you were shooting at or... I, I do I do sharpen my images just a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if that has any any amount of adds any kind of factor to it. But um, yeah, I mean straight out of the camera, this is the the sharpest I think that I've seen from any of my thirty five millimeters. And so um, yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, shocking because you know typically I don't think of thirty five millimeters being all that sharp. It's completely different. Like when you shoot digital DSLR. And you look at the sharpness, it's incredibly sharp. You know, it's like mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, I can use the same exact lens on an F5 or something and shoot the f- same photo. And it's just not quite as sharp. Yeah. This thing, for whatever reason, <laughs> is just, I don't, I don't even know what it would look like if it was on a digital sensor. <laughs> like, would it be like too sharp? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is there such thing as too sharp? You can always blur it later. I think there, there sometimes is, you know, like, um, and this, this could turn into a, a review of something else because I, uh, I had to, I had to replace my iMac recently and I uh, got the retina. Oh yeah. Right. And it's freaking me out, mm-hmm. you know, cause when I'm editing my digital photos, like it's so sharp that I'm, I'm almost weirded out by it. Yeah. Sounds weird, but two HD. Yeah. It really, it's it's like, it's so crisp and so sharp that I'm almost like, whoa, I don't know. We talked about this talking about grain, and I don't know if we see it the exact same way. Because uh, I think you enjoy a little bit of uh, vintage, uh, a bit of a patina to your files, so they mm-hmm. don't quite feel as, as crisp. But Yeah, not in every case, but in many cases, for sure. So... Is this the ultimate? Like, is this the, is this the camera you have to recommend to anybody looking for a film point and shoot? Well, I think that okay. The simple answer is yes, without question. For the price of this camera, this thing's killer. It's just it's it's light. It feels good. It's simple. It's it's. Uh, I think it's pretty good looking. I don't think it's the most good looking camera I've ever had, but that doesn't usually matter to me all that much. Um. That was a lie, by the way. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, uh, all things considered, this is probably the best compact 35 millimeter camera, film camera that on the market. How does the autofocus work on it? Is it center point only autofocus? Yeah, it is center point only. But it has auto. It has the the autofocus lock, so you can. Or I, actually, it's at automatic. You just hold it down, and it, it locks on that spot. And I've I've tested it quite a lot, and it works really, really great. In fact, one of the shots that I shared you, with you most recently, I used that because you can see the focus was in the bottom corner of the image, and I dragged oh, yeah, it over, yeah. no problem. Yeah, it's right. it's uh it's quite fancy. I only have one complaint. Uh, actually, I know I have two complaints. Uh, one of them is not that big of a deal, but um, okay. So I'm gonna actually demonstrate this complaint. So ready? Okay. That. Uh, well, that it makes sounds. It's so loud uh-huh. compared to all my other cameras. Like, I mean, it's loud. Yeah. So that's that's my complaint. That's I. I that's while you're shooting, not just powering it on. Like autofocus is loud. Like all that of too. it. Okay. <laughs> Everything you do, it's like you, you know, and uh, that part doesn't excite me that much, um, especially because um, my digital counterpart to this, the X100S, is dead silent all the time. Right, you never hear it, and so yeah, that's that's the one thing that that does bum me out about this camera. Um, well, I guess one the the one of two things. The other thing is that um, I used the red eye reduction on the flash, right. And you know, I don't remember the last time that I even tried to do that, but it had like the the multiple flashes mm-hmm. before before actually taking the picture. And um, yeah, you know, I'll take the red eye. <laughs> you know, because like as soon as you start like blasting multiple flashes in people's face, like oh, you it's lose horrible. them. Horrible. Oh, yeah. completely. Yeah, the, you lose them, and like the the flash on the point and shoot like rebel cameras, sorry, not point and shoot, but like the entry level DSLRs, like rebels or whatever the Nikon equivalents are. That's the worst part about them is that, is that the autofocus, there's no, there's no light. And mm-hmm. so they need to flash, 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 flash to get focus. Sometimes they'll flash the person 10 times trying to achieve focus, to not mm-hmm. even get focus. And then you have to start all over. Uh, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. And then, and then people are looking at you like, you're yeah, like, a get horrible the, person. Get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, why do you even exist? Get out of here. Don't yeah. take my photo. You know, and uh, that's not that's not at all the the idea. <laughs> that's not the behind. goal. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that, um, especially in daylight, I love this camera. It's just, it's it's beautiful. And it renders everything perfectly. The colors are just great. The contrast is amazing. Sharpness has gone on about that. And, uh, you know, the, the thing I have to compare it to um, is the Olympus XA, which is a completely different camera. Yeah, yeah, feels really different to shoot on that. Yeah, and the results are just, you know, it's a complete, it's, it's a total different mindset. And that's really, I think, the most important thing about, about why you would want to even have these kinds of cameras is that, like, each one of them, in my opinion, or what I'm learning about them is that um, each one of them has its own character and its own attitude. Well, I had started going after the Olympus XA for the feeling of shooting with a rangefinder in something that was more affordable and smaller. Mm-hmm. And I think it achieves that, right? Like you, you slow down a little bit with it. You have to think about the focus. It's not, 
it's not quite a, like it's not quite as point and shooty as as these, right? Like you can't just it's really not lift it and take the photo. You have to take a second. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 for that reason, I feel that um, I'm still like I, I I'm not getting rid of my XA. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I actually I still carry both of them. <laughs> well, I'm not getting rid of mine either because the shutter stopped working, so there's nothing I can do right, with so it. Not, <laughs> what am I? How am I going to get? I'm not going to throw it out, and I can't sell it, so. There's got to be a fix for that. Yeah. So hopefully it's somebody listening. If you know a way to fix a shutter, a dead shutter button on an XA, for, it's just the button. For super treat, for like less than it costs to replace the camera. <laughs> right, yeah. Like if you if you have like a magic solution for this, like let Tyler know because his heart is broken. Yeah. It, and he doesn't that. And this that. is the XA. They're, they're not all the same too. The later XAs have the guest focus like i think starting with the xa2 they all have the uh, distance estimation chart right where you look at a mountain and a flower and a person what do they call that like, zone uh, focus or yeah like oh yeah that makes sense zone focus sure yeah that's and that's an interesting principle right there isn't it yeah but but it's not the it's not what i wanted right like the, i was attracted to the xa because it's a rangefinder like i just uh-huh. think that's the coolest thing oh absolutely i mean have you ever used a rangefinder outside of that yeah yeah but not for real shooting i mean just trying yeah. tr- trying other people's cameras out yeah it's neat yeah it's neat but it's slow <laughs> it is slow but i mean it's it's uh you know it's it's 100 percent intentional you know like yeah it's not for action that's for sure you know and i, I think that, that that's why i like this this fuji is that it's it's in between for me you know it's something i can have on me and that it's quick you know i can get the shot and it's the the quality is going to be outstanding. Well, I still th- I think for um for carrying something around in in the city, um I, I still think that the XA is probably going to be a little bit more fun because you know I'm going to stop and compose and I and and the the real thing about the XA that 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 real that grabs me is that it has specific characteristics that that are so specific to that camera and um. It's super like the lens is also very sharp, but it's it's got this really intense vignette, um, and you really kind of have to place things in the center of this camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're when you're using it to its strengths, it's it's so gorgeous. You know, it's like it's the kind of vignette that you want, and not the kind that you that you're miserable about. Yeah, older film vignettes. The same with the Lomo LCA. It, mm-hmm. uh, it has a similar feeling and actually an even stronger vignette. It's very, very prominent, but it's great. Like I, I hate digital vignettes. I really wish nobody would use them ever, but when it comes from the lens, it really feels different. Yeah, it does. And I, I really, I honestly, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't add vignettes in yeah. post. Cause I, I think that if it's not kind of, I don't know, it's totally elitist crap attitude for me, but, um, no, I, it also, no, it doesn't feel the same either. Like even the way that a digital sensor responds to a vignette to me feels different. I don't like, I don't know if that's just my mind playing tricks, but like a film vignette also feels different. It feels more real vintage. And I don't know, is it the vintageness that we're after though? Like not really. It's more that, um, it's, it's the reality of it. It's the naturalness of it. It's that, I don't want to see the post-production. I don't want to think about the post that somebody did on an image. Yeah. I want to make that, I want to make those decisions and when I'm shooting it. Yeah. 
you know, I don't want to have like, that's actually, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think that, um, with, with our digital cameras, we've discovered that, that we can kind of do anything we want after the fact. And it, it tends to, to allow you a little bit too much freedom in just, you know, relying on post. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I've really gravitated towards film is, is that like you have to really learn your camera mm-hmm. and figure out what it is that, that it succeeds at and what it, where it fails and um, burn a lot of film in it. And because there's that, that time, the expense, the slowing down, all these things just make those photos a little bit more tangible in my right. mind. Yeah. Well, the, and the way I always think about it is it's not that there's no, it's almost like the post is done ahead of time when the film was Mm -hmm. produced, like a bunch of scientists did the post-production as pre-production by developing a look that you can use again and again, every time you put this film stock in Mm -hmm. and, um, and it takes that not thinking about that part of the process at the end is really liberating. I mean, I'm complaining about digging through all of these digital shots. Like some of the shoots we did a shoot, two days ago and there were about 6,000 photos. Um, and it takes so long to go through that. It took a few hours to download all the cards. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, just to get it, get it off of the uh, camera. And, um, then the thought process of what that's going to look like. And it's so different from just getting it back from the lab. Yeah. And it's, it is very liberating. I think, I'm I'm dealing with the same thing because um, I've I've had a really really busy May and thankfully <laughs> and you know but the 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 downside is having to go through like you are thousands and thousands of images and there's just been so many that um, at some point you just you, you you know I have to step away like I'm working on this wedding. And I reached out to the client. I said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna share the sections with you as I finish them, but I'm gonna really take my time because I, what I really don't like is f- feeling like I have to rush to get this done and out you know out of the way because I know that I'm gonna cut corners and that I'm not gonna you know I'm gonna do things that aren't gonna necessarily reflect my my best qualities as a photographer." Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating, you know, and I think that, that, you know, it's, it's the, it's the give and take of the convenience that we get in in digital with, with our modern professional cameras, we can take thousands of photos in a shoot. You know, we didn't do that previous to this, you know, you, uh, you took your time and you made sure that you got it right because you didn't, you had to, that was, that was what it meant to be a professional is that you you had to make sure you got it right without being able to see it. Despite all this, though, like, I like talking up how wonderful it feels to shoot film because it does feel good. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been shooting any at all, <laughs> right? So um, I don't know. It's there's like a romance to it. There's a there's an a, attraction there that I think overrides how impractical it can really be sometimes. Well, and I yeah, and I think that that's that's a really that's the thing is that I think that as a professional. You know, it's 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 really super hard to be a you know a film shooter and and take on clients. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Like uh, I have some friends that do it, and they're so disciplined and so talented. And you know, I just look at that and I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to I want to just slow down and all the intention and and everything just 
do it. You know, at the end of the day, like it isn't about taking thousands of photos. That's not what excites me. Like I'm way more excited by getting a roll of 12 or 36 images and, and finding the two or three that rule. <laughs> you, you know what I always think about once I go through the the shoots where there's a few, say a few hundred photos to get the one, right? Which which we shoot really often, like a lot of the time with portraits and stuff. There'll be 100, 200, 300 photos that are virtually the same. And when I do flip through those and finally land on the one that is right, I look at all of the others and I'm like, most of these are not very good and I'm glad they are not the only photo I have. And if it was film, I would have stopped at photo two or three. Right. You know? So I I just think that's interesting to think about. Like, is the photo way better because I spent like more time with the model and I was less afraid to shoot things like take risks when they were moving and possibly blinking, but there's, there's more no. animation there. Cause I mean, I'm much more conservative if it's filmed too. I'm like, Hey, please just sit still so we can <laughs> make sure this is in focus. <laughs> Don't do yeah. anything rash. Uh, be very careful. Yeah. For as much as I like to talk up the film, there's, there's, you're, you're right. I mean, there's so many opportunities, like times where at like, I wish that I had gotten the best shot on the film camera, but the truth is I, I probably got it on a digital camera because of those exact reasons. Yeah. And in the end, what people are responding to the most, not what non-film nerds are responding to is the subject. You mm-hmm. know, the, the yeah. expression on their face and the shape of their body or the colors of the leaves. Or, no, sorry, colors of the leaves is the wrong example. Like that, the colors <laughs> of the leaves aren't what people respond to. They respond to what is in the photo. Like you could convert it to black and white and still they're probably going to respond the most to what the subject matter is. If it's a cute puppy, yep. if it's a pretty girl, like if it's <laughs> things that people search for on the internet a lot, it's what's in the photo that really ends up mattering in the end. Yep. I don't know. So I want to take a sec to talk about my film Ooh. point and shoot choice, which was the Contax T2. There yeah. it is. Also makes noises. Yeah, it does. It makes actually virtually the same noises. <laughs> that was turning on. Uh, can I make it focus? Oh no, it doesn't focus until you take the photo. So what happens is when you hold it down, it'll try to establish what the distance is. When you do the half press, like that's when it decides the distance and then the full press will move the lens to make the focus happen. Since it's not an SLR, it's not previewing the focus for you, right? That's odd. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange to work with, but I I love that there are virtually no controls on this lens. Like it's just so clean and minimal and, to be mm-hmm. honest, it's the design that really attracted to me, uh, me to these cameras. Like when you turn them off and look at the front, it's just a big piece of metal. It's yeah, really beautiful. <laughs> That's and, the, contacts are the most beautiful cameras. Yeah, yeah. The, I I almost bought the Fuji that you have. I was really close. I mean, it's it's an amazing camera. And looking at your image quality, I kind of feel like those images might be a little sharper. Um, I just sent you a link to uh, some of mine that you've you've seen before, but shot on the contacts. And I feel like the sharpest of them are, they just don't feel quite as sharp as yours. Um, maybe. Man, this this uh, this header image that you have of the guy on the skateboard is really just a cool shot. Yeah, it's cool. Eh? But it's not crazy sharp. I, don't, I think it's exactly what you want from... A point-and-shoot camera. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't disappointed with it at all. <laughs> I, I, I like it, too. Yeah, everything about this says yes to me. 
to me, I feel like I missed too many shots on it. There's when you look through the, the viewfinder and tell me what yours looks like when you, when you look through it, I'm going to turn it on again. It's got uh, two different circles inside that depending on your distance from the subject, one circle might be the center and the, therefore focus point. And as your distance changes, it becomes the other circle that you're looking at, which okay. is confusing. Cause I forget which circle is the close up circle, which is the far away circle. Yeah, that's rough. If you're not shooting at a lot, then yeah. you, don't, you don't know. But that, that, that isn't, it is a good thing because any camera will have parallax like that. Um, if you get closer and further mm-hmm. from the subject, the difference between your viewfinder and the lens becomes magnified. So it's just giving me an indication of how that difference is, is, is changing, but I end up getting a little confused as I use it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Did and you then, want to hear about the way this, the, yeah, the yeah, class works? And, yeah. So the class in the, in the, um, I mean, look through the viewfinder. It actually, it has this, it has the parallax, like a, it's like an adjustment frame. So the the frame is not the, it's not congruent with the view, the whole viewfinder. And this is around the edges, though, right? This is the outside of the frame, or because mine has that as well on the sides of the frame. I think it has the same thing, and then also in the center. It's, it's kind of awkward. So w- what it is is it's like if you imagine like a full viewfinder frame, right? And then if you cropped that about one inch on, or like, I, I don't know, like a couple centimeters on each side, and then shifted it all the way to the lower right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. That's yeah. where it's, that's how it's framing. And that's how you, you deal with the parallax d- distortion. So yeah, it's pretty, I, you know, when I first looked in there, I was like, oh, that's weird. And then, you know, I, I looked in the manual and I was like, oh, okay, that, that's really cool. You know, in high school, we had a, computer class where we'd like make stuff like make videos and take photos and things just as things were becoming digital Mm -hmm. and the first little short film that i made was called parallax because i had just heard of that word in a dictionary and thought it was a super cool word (laughs) (laughs) so my first short film was called parallax for absolutely no reason (laughs) that's awesome i was actually thinking of starting a band called called reciprocity failure (laughs) (laughs) yeah perfect yeah these these words are solid. It sound they sound cool and like yeah. you know people outside of photography they don't know except for <laughs> some random nerds they're like they're not, no one's gonna know yeah oh that sounds cool parallax that sounds like a metal band <laughs> yeah exactly and it's kind of got some like depth of meaning to it too like as your perspective changes the world <laughs> changes anyway going on with the review the focus on this thing is crazy too there's basically off and then autofocus and then where usually you would change exposure modes that's where all the focus modes are i can't even describe this it's just really strange i leave it on autofocus but you basically <laughs> preset like the the number of meters away um, wow. and then there's a, a shutter button and on the lens is the aperture so if i set it to 2.8 basically it'll try to go as low as close to 2.8 as it can all the time mm-hmm and if it's too bright, then it'll go higher, which is awesome because it means like the, the way it means what we, it works the way that we usually shoot, to be honest, which is, you know, try to get shallow depth of field if you can, but if it's too bright, then adjust it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you set it to 2.8 and it needs to go to 8.0, 
it'll just do that for you. You're saying we do that because we shoot a lot of portraits. <laughs> uh, no, well, I think because a lot of the world is um, in love with bokeh. <laughs> yeah. But weren't we just talking last week about the 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 magnificence of five six? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but this is what I like about it is um, a lot of the time it will end up being higher. It's I don't know. I guess it's basically just shooting on full auto when I do that. Uh, but I still uh, yeah the magnificence of five point six. But I still like depth of field when I can. <laughs> like it's a it's a yeah. crutch, but it's still a beautiful thing. Like most of the images that you sent me have some depth of field, which also contributes to that impression of sharpness as well. It does. It's part of why they look so sharp, I think. Yeah. Well, it's really wild because uh, I I just got two rolls of film, and one was from the Fuji and the other one was from the uh, from my Nikon FM3A. And, you know, that I was, like I was telling you, it was the same film, it was a lot of the, the same environments, and the shots on the, the Fuji were just sharper. Mm-hmm. And also they had better contrast. In the end, if we're going to recommend one or the other, I feel like I'd recommend yours. It's your, If you find one, it's probably going to be a bit newer. I think they're a little cheaper. Yeah, they are a little cheaper. And they perform at least as well. Um, if not, maybe. I mean, so far, I feel like yours are maybe a little sharper. Maybe it's just because it's not my camera. But Right. I mean, I, to be honest with you, like I'm looking at your photos and I'm just like marveling at how beautiful that camera is too. So honestly, I think that like whichever one you find first, just buy it. Both of these cameras kick ass. Yeah. So. If you are looking for a definitive guide to this, anybody should Google the Japan Camera Hunter guide to point and shoots. He wrote a really great article that was the original resource for me in trying to choose from these. And there's a few other point and shoots that are really well regarded and a lot of people tend to agree perform similarly well and uh that, and that's that's where that's where i had first heard of a lot of these cameras so yeah for sure yeah and yeah japan camera hunter is just a great film resource he's an awesome blogger yeah totally and it, it'll, it'll only feed your addiction if you have such an addiction and so it's either like really great or it's it's detrimental to your family life or whatever it is that you <laughs> that you have to maintain because you might end up spending some money. Absolutely. So um, what else are you into this week? You know, on my everlasting quest to make my life more complicated, I, I decided that I needed to figure out a solution for myself in terms of um, scanning larger film. Um, cause the pack the pack on is, is like the most brilliant thing that ever happened for 35 millimeter. It's just, it's so easy. You, you scan an entire roll in five minutes and you're done. And, you know, you do some, some last second tweaking on Lightroom or whatever, if you need to, uh, if you shoot Kodak films, you usually don't need to, but you know, because I like to make life complicated. What I did was, uh, I ordered some, um, there, the, the, Inserts for scanning on flatbed for uh, for medium format and for large format. I think that's what you call them. Yeah, or carriers. They're, yeah, carriers. Okay. Um, and so the ones that I got, I got from um, betterscanning.com. And they're some pretty hardcore folks. So um, make sure we put that in the, gonna, in the show notes. Right and uh, so what I got is, is I, you know, I have the Epson 4490, um, which was the, the flagship before the, the V700s came out. 
um, and obviously the newer V800s. Um, and, you know, it's it, to be honest with you, from everything that I've seen and read, the quality is about the same. I'm not really exactly sure what makes the, the newer ones better, except for that they have a, a sweeter design. So that's that. But um, so these are, you know, they have variable height things that so you, like if if you realize that your your sharpness isn't quite right you can adjust it um so that's pretty cool and i've got i got one that has uh i got one for medium format as well as one for for four by five or large format i can actually do four by five up to eight by ten and i can do dry and or wet scanning and have you received these yet or are you putting them yeah to use? I, I have them sitting here i just haven't done anything with them yet i'm still i'm still well i'm curious to see what you get i I've, I've said before, I don't see many great examples of negative scans from flatbeds, but uh, maybe you'll be the one to. Well, pull you're it just off. not looking at you're not looking at the at, at people who are doing larger formats, though. Maybe, but I don't think that I don't. Th- the issue is the latitude and the color mm. color range. I, I don't know exactly what it is about the color, but typically it just does not look as good as from a lab scan like you you know that you agree right oh yeah i don't think it's just the people's operation i i'm guessing i think there is something about the technology that just doesn't respond as well like they're built to scan a positive image meaning you know a print and then they they just struggle i I don't know why i'm not a i'm not a scientist but well a lot of that i think has to do with the software it's not necessarily the hardware. It's 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 the software. Yeah. Um, if you're using ViewScan, like uh, the the results are typically a lot better. Like I've done a lot of searching around in in homework to make sure that I wasn't just spending more money for the hell of it. You know, because if I was doing that, I would I would you know save up and and buy a, a scanner that was going to be more satisfying. But really, you know, the the thing I wanted is to be able to shoot medium or scan medium format and large format. So, you know, I, I did some some research and looked into some things and found that people are doing some really extraordinary work, you know, with these things. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful at the very least. And, you know, hopefully I'll prove you wrong. Well, the proof is going to be in these photos. There's no point in pre-arguing about it ahead of time. So That's right. So another interesting thing about <clears throat> these uh, these this way of scanning is that you can do the, the fluid scanning. What the, yeah, what does that mean? I don't understand. Well, fluid mount... Is you know I've never done it, so you know I'm really super ignorant about it. Um, but from what I understand, there's you can buy fluids which you then you know put onto the the glass or directly onto the film. I'm not really sure, and it basically it sticks the film to the to the glass. Oh, okay. I, and that, inside of the holder, and then um, the results apparently it, it's you know it's a night and day difference. Sounds messy. From, um, well, it's not like a, it's not, it's more kind of like an oil or something. And uh, apparently it's, it, I mean, I think messier. that, yeah, well, I, I, what I meant to, to express there was that I don't think it's like a, a runny drippy kind of a, a, a thing. I think right. it's, it's, it's controllable Okay, from what I understand. And you know, the, the beauty of it is that like, you're not going to do it on, you know, every print. Or every scan, because like your typical scans are going to come out looking, you know, reasonably good, if not perfect. And then, you know, for the for the things that are just award winners, then you know, take the extra effort and, you know, 
do it to the to the fullest and you know so like basically if i had if i was doing four by five which is really the idea so if i'm doing four by five and and i come up with you know 10 portraits and and nine of them are good and one of them is extraordinary you know like i might just go ahead and you know make that last one even that much better just because i actually have read a bit about this type of technology in my uh, watch blog reading lately there's a a, yeah there's an example of the (laughs) what's called the resonance type one which is this really beautifully designed watch and that when you look at it it looks like there's no glass on it at all Mm -hmm. and it's basically that there is a layer of oil that is uh, attaching the uh, crystal to the or just thinly separating the crystal from the face underneath and um, same idea. And then that also, uh, I think iPhone screens, it's part of the lamination process as well is that to, to make it feel like the glass and screen are at one with each other, there is a similar layer of oil that brings them into, you know, sharper focus or alignment or something. Oh, very interesting. My reading about this was very minimal. If you can't tell by my complete lack of understanding, but I know (laughs) that, uh, the, a, um, Apple develop, uh, hardware designer was discussing his watches and how he had made that connection between these beautifully designed watches and what he'd been working on with the iPhone. So nice. You know, one of the interesting things about doing, you know, even, even looking into the information behind things like fluid scanning or film scanning in general is that all the websites that you're going to find are like from the nineties or so. Here's and the so, problem with all this is that the people writing about it are mostly tech nerds. Like they're not great visual artists typically. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry if any of you guys are listening. If you're offending somebody. Yeah, I'm, of course I am. But they are the, the people that dive <laughs> this deep into it are and then write about it typically aren't the ones producing the most incredible art that we've ever seen. Right. Um, unfortunately. So the examples I see from them are like not. I don't know. Like the, what they consider to be beautiful colors are not the colors that I'm looking for, and um, a lot of the articles are not representative of what like I consider to be the, the world class aesthetics that I see in print in magazines. You know, in uh, coming from the great modern film photographers. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see Jurgen Teller write an article about like how do you make a point and shoot look awesome? Because yeah. it's those people that really are doing it and are pushing it. Mm-hmm. But there's so, there's so little information about it. That's kind of how it is with most things on the internet though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was trying to find really great articles about making strobes look great outdoors. And all of the articles I could find are like, yeah, this is, I know this, you know, right. this is it's- already the level that I'm at. I know how to just turn a strobe on and make it light up the subject outdoors. Like that's, I've, It doesn't take long to get that far, but refining that and blending it in the way that masters do it, the way that an Annie Leibovitz shoot looks, like Mm -hmm. that next step, I don't see anybody talking about that level of production, that really subtle, challenging, but makes all the difference. You know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. It's really hard. But, well, honestly, that's what I hoped we would be. And I'm sure we're failing at it completely. But it's trying to be a little more like, look, you've already figured out the basics. So let's um, try to move past it. Yeah. But also we like to talk about 
the same stuff that everybody likes to talk about and read about and hear like about. Fluid scanning. Yeah. S- scanning your fluids. Just the stuff. Obviously, we haven't really talked about photography at all today, but what we've talked about is, is the tools. And I think that um, they're... The show's yeah, not called cares, photography but, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's for the work, the professional working photographer. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think working that, camera enthusiast. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, you know, our, our tools are extensions of, of everything else. And so, you know, like these things are, they're the most exciting things for me to play with. I love them. I just love to to get my hands on new cameras and find out what what it has to tell me. Oh, don't we all? Mm-hmm. Hey, did you see Mad Max yet? No, and 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 I wish you wouldn't be bothering me about it because it's driving me crazy because I want to see it so bad. Well, sorry, I'm going to talk about it a bunch, but uh, with absolutely <laughs> no spoilers. Uh, and this also it. will obviously date this show a bit, but Mad Max Fury Road recently came out. It's the first Mad Max in, uh, I guess, 30 years. 1985, Beyond Thunderdome came out. And yeah. I've been just pouring over all of the behind the scenes on this because... There's a lot of really great information about the production out there. First of all, it's beautiful. Like, it's a really beautiful movie. And I, from the trailer, I thought it was just going to be a special effects extravaganza. But a lot of the portrait shots and the subtlety in it and the landscapes and the things that, um, you know, they're, that are, they're not CG. They are just great photography with really close attention to the retouching. So mm-hmm. hearing about how they produced all this stuff has been really interesting to me it's an australian team that did the the production and there's a really amazing australian site about uh f it's called fx phd and it's about um visual effects production and because they mm-hmm. already know each other they got to do all this behind the scenes coverage so they have this really in-depth information about the production of this movie and it's amazing so go, anyway go to fx phd and uh, fx podcast is the show with all the interviews but they discuss a lot about like the way that they were shooting day for night um was really different and special in this so m- most of the well this is not abnormal but m- most of the night shots were just shot in full daytime and full daylight and then the way that they treated the image afterwards and turned it blue and brought it darker is how it looks like night and what was exceptional in this movie is that they overexposed everything by two to three stops in the broad daylight to get their optimal night exposure. And the traditional mm-hmm. approach when shooting film would be to underexpose by a stop or two. So this is basically uh, an effect of the camera's progress. So they're shooting on Alexas, which have a ton of dynamic range. And basically the argument was that to get the most range out of these cameras, you you're, you're, you're fighting the shadows. That's where you're losing the detail most quickly. And if mm-hmm. you underexpose that detail gets crushed pretty quickly and by overexposing, there's enough latitude that as long as they don't clip, which that's a, a challenge as long as they're yeah. not clipping though, they're able to recover much more data. And it was interesting because the, the director of photography was talking about this and he was saying like, this is a, I mean, this is a widely known thing in digital photography, exposed to the right, and you're always going to get more information as long as you don't clip. And he kept saying that. I'm like, this is not actually, I think this is actually a controversial thing to say, because I've heard people (laughs) on both sides of it. Like, if I want to be safer with my information, I'll expose darker. Like, (laughs) I find it safer (laughs) to underexpose. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I mean, think, that's my experience. <laughs> yeah, but then I, I realized that I think the whole key to all this is that he kept saying, like, unless, as long as you don't clip. And yeah. if you're in a big Hollywood production and you have enough people working your lighting and your the fusion and your, um, like, you can, you can modify the light as much as you want and potentially replace the sky, which they did a lot of, meaning that the sky can clip, but not the subjects. Right. Then maybe it just doesn't matter. Maybe you can just control the light enough that you're not clipping which seems like a total luxury to me because i've got to just deal with the light i'm dealt a lot of the time but yeah same but i'm going to do some experiments i want to find out how true that is and i could see like when i think about it, i'm like yeah if i could keep it from clipping and you brought your shadows up quite a bit like there there is usually more noise in the shadows right like shadows mm. are a bit grungier than than highlights yes so I want to play around with that idea. That's fascinating. Now I, I'm just, I'm dying because I so want to see this movie. Everybody's yeah. been, I mean, I think it's been weeks now. Yeah. You got to see it while it's in theaters. Don't, don't let it slip by. I mean, it is made, it is made for theaters. It's just yeah. very beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go to one of these, uh, these lounge theaters where they serve beer in the recliners. Good idea. <laughs> I'm so tempted to see it again. They, um, what else? I'm trying to think of any of the other behind the scenes stuff I saw. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of, this is great to know, like while you're watching, does that many of the, all the, almost all the stunts were performed, um, live. So the, the post-production was mostly compositing. So bringing together real shots that, uh, only a minimal amount was against green screens. A lot of it was, most of it was shot on location. And, uh, you know, so what would happen is there'd be like, in the final shot, there's 10 cars driving next to each other and they'd shoot sections of three cars here and four cars over here and, um, and then composite them all into one bigger scene. But almost everything that's happening was actually shot and was real. Um, which is amazing when you see what's going on. They, um, I said it was shot on Alexa's. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And then in behind the scenes shots, you can also see a little bit of what they did with the lighting, which is, that's really interesting to me. And I want to know more because they're shooting just in the middle of the Namibian desert. Like there's, there's no shade. <laughs> they got nothing out there. Right. And uh, a lot of yeah. it seemed to just be like a series of reflectors and really great post-production. Um, mm. And it made me think about getting more into sky replacement because when you can ignore the exposure of the sky, like you're just not even concerned about it. That really can free you up a lot. You know, you can, oh, sure. you can just expose for the shadows of the subject and make sure that the light's falling on them in the right direction. But other than that, you don't need to, to worry about preserving the clouds and preserving that detail. You can just let it go and bring it back in afterwards. But are you talking about doing that for video or for photos? Well, I'm, uh, for photos. Cause I do not have the technical know-how to do that for, for video. And doing yeah. it in a subtle way, not like to create over dramatic skies, but just to right. give yourself a saved sky, a, a properly exposed sky in an image that might have otherwise needed to blow the sky out to get appropriate exposure of the of the subject. Yeah, HDR without HDR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just one element is is extending the range, which yeah, is the sky. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I'm curious about that. The the cinematographer is. Um, an accomplished. I gotta, I gotta look up his name so I don't just keep saying this. Cinema. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Seal, the cinematographer of Mad Max. Um, he's already okay. an accomplished photographer. He he's been doing this for years and is 
award-winning and all this. And he just collects sky photos. Like he has a huge personal archive and that's a lot of what he was using in this. So I guess I got to start doing that too. You know, I had an idea to do that at some point. (laughs) I've thought of it. Actually, I've thought of it a lot of times in my career and never ended up compositing any skies. So, Yeah. Well, I, I did a couple and, um, you know, I just realized that they looked dumb. So I was like, eh. yeah, well, this is what I need. I need an expert article on how do you really do it? Well, how do you match the, the perspective and the angle and the, uh, focal length? Mm-hmm. Those things, those are the challenges to me. Yeah. And then just managing your database. So, so you can find the ones that, that are going to yeah. actually look right. Totally. When you need it, you, you know where to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's all the time we have today. Yep. Thanks Cameron. Hey. Yeah, it's good to catch up finally. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care. Bye.